Hey guys, today I'm with Julie Justice and we're talking about mental health. So we're talking about in the perinatal period and then in the postpartum period. And we're talking about the differences today between controlled mental health in the birth process and what that could look like and uncontrolled depression and what that could look like in the birth room. So when you have a birth team surrounding you and a healthy mental space and what that looks like versus if you don't have those things in place and you're just trying to wing it. So let's get to it. What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does the day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. Okay, just a little something before we get started today, and that is, what happens if you don't take Birth Story Academy? So like, let's say you're pregnant, that's why you're listening to the Birth Story Podcast, and you're preparing for a hospital birth that's upcoming. And of course, this podcast gives you tons of free information, right? But like... Do you really understand the stages of labor? How to know when you're in labor? What if you have to have an induction? What about a cesarean section? What about all of the decisions that you have to make once you get to the hospital? So you get there and then they put you in triage. Birth Story Academy walks you through all the things that happen, like that rapid fire with like monitoring and blood work and questions and IV ports and do you want an epidural? I don't know. Do you? In Birth Story Academy, we literally break down all of those decisions, pros, cons, risks, benefits, intuition, and like we get into it. We make birth plans, we do birth visions, we listen to birth affirmations and parenting affirmations, and like at the end of it, like you know exactly what's going to happen when you go into labor and when you get to the hospital. What's going to happen after you give birth? Newborn care preferences, how to take care of your baby. So I guess what I'm getting at is if you're not in Birth Story Academy, what's your plan, right? Like I want to be your teacher. I want you to come join me in Birth Story Academy and let me walk you through all of the decisions that you have to make if you're having a hospital birth and how to have body autonomy and how to have informed consent and informed refusal. Like- I'm going to teach you and your partner, if you have one, everything that you need to know about birthing in a hospital so that you can walk in that door with some swagger, with some confidence, like 
wash that anxiety away because you learned everything you needed to learn in Birth Story Academy and you are ready to crush that birth, right? Okay, let's do it. And let's get to this episode. Hey, Julie Justice, welcome to the Birth Story Podcast. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing this morning? I'm so good. Thank you for reaching out to me and really wanting to share your stories and just spread light and awareness and love to mental health and the role that it can play in the birth process. So I'm really excited that you're here and we're going to just dig in right away with your first story because we're going to get through two birth stories, you guys, today, which is amazing because we really need to talk about the the one and then the other and then one set of things that can change the way that the birth unfolds and then how it can be when your mental health is more in control and you have an informed birth team and the support that you need. So let's dig right in. Julie. Did you have a fertility journey? Was this planned, unplanned? Tell us all the things about getting pregnant for your first child. So it was very much unplanned. Um, My now husband and I had just met and we got pregnant the first time we had sex. So it was completely unexpected. Was that like on the first night you met? Yeah. No, no, no. We we had known each other for like a couple weeks, but it was like our first like official date, like, and it, Good for you, Julie, with that holding out a little bit. Now, so like what I hate to say, like what happened, but if it was like an unplanned pregnancy, like can you walk the audience through that? Like did the condom break? Was there no, were you caught up in the heat of the moment? Was there a, I forgot to take a birth control pill or was it just failed something? Like what happened? That point in my life, I was a little bit of a party girl. You know, I had kind of not been great with like my ring, So I was off of that and, you know, there was no condom and I was just like, Oh, whatever, it'll be fine. And I mean, the next day he was like, should we get plan B? I was like, no, I know my cycle. It's not that time of month. And I was totally wrong. This so. is like, I have two types of doula clients, Julie, this story. And then like long fertility. Yeah. It's like, I don't seem to ever catch the in-between clients, doula clients that are like, yeah, we like tried, you know, for a couple months and then got pregnant. It's like, I've been trying for five years and we need a doula, you know, or like, uh, um, I sort of know this person I'm having a baby with, but right. <laughs> I guess we'll get to know each other. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, right now, like as a, as an older, you know, I'm 43, but I, you know, I once was Julie, this person, right? Who who slept with my husband on the first night that I met him. Like, yeah, this is a great idea. That wasn't the first time this happened. So like, you know, I, I literally, I never got pregnant. So like, I can't imagine that that moment. So you've only known someone a few weeks, you get pregnant. Do you, do you find out with this person? Yes, you do. Okay. So you took a test together. I, I had like taken a test. Like I didn't like tell him I took the test, but like he was in the bathroom, like brushing his teeth that morning. And I was like, uh, this, this is positive. And it was like the faintest line. He's like, no, there's no way we'll do another one. I mean, six tests later, definitely, definitely positive. <laughs> okay. Now, how old are both of you guys at this point? I was 24 and he was 23. Okay. So both of you were quite young. Yeah. And, um, 
So you said he was brushing his teeth in the bathroom. So does this mean like you met and then you basically spent every single day together for like the yeah, next eight much. weeks? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He, he moved in real quick. Like he, he, there's just one day he was there and never left. <laughs> okay. So you guys met and it was like instantly like gravitational pull. Like this was not like we went, met, went on a date had sex, I got pregnant. This was like gravitational pull. Like I met you, I had sex with you. I need to spend every minute with you. Pretty much. <laughs> We've all had that happen. And and like in my case, I married the person. Right. And it sounds like you did too. So is this the, okay. I'm like, you did too. Okay. So you guys are together. You find out, I can't even imagine at 23 and 24, like what's the, what's the reaction? Are you like, and I'm, I'm, and this is raw. Like, were you like, we have to have an abortion or were you like, oh my God, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me. Or where, what were you thinking? I was totally overwhelmed. Um, I was like, well, I, I mean, I, I guess we're having a baby, you know? I mean, the, the abortion was like mentioned as an option, but neither of us really felt like it was the route we wanted to go. Yeah. Um, I am very thankful that that's an option um, just because, you know, at certain times in my life, that would have been the route I went, but, you know, I decided, I guess we're doing it. I had the support of my family you know, I told my sister and my mom, and they were both so excited, you know, like worried because I just met this guy, but really excited. It was the first baby, um, grandbaby in the family. So okay. it was a lot, a lot of support was, uh, was there. And you've now married this person. So I yeah. also like, there's, when you meet someone and the family meets someone like we kind of know right away if they're like a douchebag. Right. <laughs> you know? So like there's a general consensus going on that like you're very drawn to this person and want to have a child with him. And like your family also seems like they thought that this was a pretty good guy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So at what point, like at this point, well, I should say, did you feel like you were in love already? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Had you said it? I believe so. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think it was like that day that we got pregnant. <laughs> yeah. Like the fifth time I saw my husband, we were, it's a whole long story, not for this podcast, but like I met my husband, totally fell in love. Like clearly I told you I slept with him. He deployed like, like literally 48 hours later for four months. Oh my God. And I was like, and I was 35 years old. 34 years old and I was like oh my god I've met the love of my life like oh my god now I can't see him for four months the next time I saw him he's his like plane for the navy like landed in his station in Hawaii and I like get off the plane and I'm like I love you <laughs> I said it. but I had technically only seen this person like three days in person <laughs> So I totally get it when things kind of let it marinate. You know? Yes. Yeah, so I was like, I was like, oh God, I just said it first. I never thought I would do that too. Okay. So you guys are in a real, like, it sounds like for an unplanned and unexpected pregnancy, it was very welcome. Yeah. And you were excited about it. Okay. Yeah. But now we're 24 years old. What's like your life circumstance, like with education, um, job, money? So Healthcare. I'm a dental hygienist. Um, yeah. At the time, I was working a lot of like temp jobs. Um, going like I was in Northern Virginia at the time, so I was all over the place, just working like crazy, and that was my focus. Um, but that was that was really all it was. It was so, just work and 
you know, little partying on the weekends and realizing all that had to stop. And mm-hmm. But you had <laughs> so health care. Um, yeah, I was still on my mom's um, health insurance at the time because oh, I was 24. Yeah, boom. Yeah, so I was able to be on there until I was 26. So okay. I, uh, I snuck one baby in on her great health insurance. So that was that was awesome. Awesome. Okay. So now your now husband, but at the time boyfriend is brushing his teeth in the bathroom. And then I guess at that point, are you like, well, just kind of move in because we're having a baby together? Pretty much. Okay. It wasn't really a conversation. It was just like, well, I guess you're you're here now. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love all of the ways in which like marriages and babies happen. Like these stories just are so fun to me. Okay. So let's talk about this pregnancy. So what, like, did, are you one of those people that grew up like watching birth on YouTube or like listening to birth stories? Did you know anything about birth? Um, so my best friend had a baby when I was 18 and like, I was there for, I wasn't in the room, but like, I was like outside the room, like peeking in and like, so that was really cool. And, um, my sister was actually doing the program to become a birth doula at the time. So, you know, I've been talking to her about it and stuff. And like, I have a little brother. I remember my mom being pregnant. So it's always been something that's like been around and like a positive thing. It wasn't like a scary thought. So like, I really wanted to try like going the natural route because like it just felt natural, I guess, you know? Okay. And by natural, you mean like an unmedicated? Okay. All right. So how does your pregnancy go? It was rough. It was, I was just, I think mentally I was just drained. I was, you know, I was depressed. I would, you know, in a new relationship with this guy, I don't know, I'm having a baby, you know, it's just all of the things. And, um, I gained like 50 pounds cause I, you know, I wasn't very physically active. I didn't cook at the time. So I was doing a lot of pizza, Chipotle, you know, just eating like crap. <laughs> so it just, it just, it made me feel so just, ugh. That Chipotle will get you every time. I swear nothing tasted as good as like a Chipotle burrito when I was pregnant. Julie, I gained 70 pounds. My audience (laughs) knows that. So I'm like 50. I'm like, that's good. Like you're doing great. Um, So I guess I'm like, I felt so terrible when I was pregnant that I can't imagine dating like a newly, you know? So did you, right. were you guys able to make time for each other? Like at least like Netflix and chill or? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. I was like, what does dating like look like <laughs> when you're trying to like learn someone new right. you know, while being pregnant, you know? I know. It was like, they say that like that first year of like a baby's life is like the most stressful on a relationship. And I was like, that's when we got to know each other. Like, mm-hmm. um, so at this point you're on your mom's insurance. Are you like, I'm going to give birth at a hospital or a home birth or a birth center? Like what was that looking like for you? Um, that was, actually kind of a funny thing so my phone at the time was broken um because I was a 24 year old party girl didn't care you know so my mommy had to call to make my doctor's appointment for me for my pregnancy (laughs) (laughs) and so she called the um the OB's office that happened to be right across the street from my dental office that I worked at um it was covered by the insurance and so it's just like okay well you know OB hospital like it just there was no question about it okay that's just sort of what you did. Was that the yeah. same OB that had given you the Nuva ring? No, different yeah. one. Okay. I wasn't yeah. sure, like, you know, if you had had any continuity my, of care. My yeah. gynecologist didn't deliver. Okay. She was um, more like surgical gynecology, so she yeah. didn't deliver. So I had to find a new provider when I got pregnant. Okay. 
Now, was this provider male or female? Um, they had a mix. They had, it was um, three OBs and one nurse practitioner. One of the OBs was a male. Okay. So is this a practice where you rotate? Yes. Okay. Is that mandatory? I don't remember ever having an option. Okay. So I guess. Yeah. That's kind of what they do here in Charlotte, North Carolina is like, there's these giant practices. And I mean like 18 OBs, you know, and like four midwives and they kind of say like rotate. And I'm like, I'm always like, why don't you just say that's super weird. I'm only available when Dr. Blah, blah, blah is working. Right. (laughs) Isn't that funny how that works out? No continuity of care. (laughs) I know. That's always my recommendation for those listening to the podcast is I don't believe in rotating. Who cares who delivers your baby? You're fine. For your 40 weeks of pregnancy, build a relationship with someone. Right. That can get to know you, your baby, your body, your partner, if you have one, that kind of thing. Um, Okay. So I alluded to the fact that we were going to talk about mental health. So let's, like you said, it was rough. Right. So you get an OB, you're planning in a hospital birth, but what was specifically rough about your pregnancy? Well, I had been on like Zoloft earlier in my twenties and I guess I had gone off it at some point. I don't even remember going off of it. And of course, you know, if you get on Google and look up, if it's okay to be on antidepressants when you're pregnant, it's like, oh, it's going to be horrible for the baby. And it's going to, you're not going to produce any milk. And so I was like, here I am like super depressed and stressed and anxious and like overwhelmed with my entire life, but afraid to go back on medication because everything I could, you know, find was like, oh, it's going to damage the baby. It's going to make you not be able to breastfeed. And so like, I feel like that added to my anxiety and stress. So I went through my whole pregnancy without being properly medicated, which I think just added to my weight gain and, you know, not wanting to go out of the house, not wanting to go for a walk, you know, just, it just all kind of built on top of each other. Hold, hold on. So you, did you come off your medication when you got pregnant? Like you were I had on it? off of it at some point before I got pregnant. Okay. At some point before. So you were yeah. already off it. It wasn't like you got pregnant and then cold turkey did. Okay. No. I mentioned that because if you're listening to this and you currently take Zoloft or an antidepressant and you get pregnant, do not cold turkey, your antidepressant that has massive consequences, including suicidal ideation, massive consequences. So I need to say that to the audience, you have to call your healthcare provider and decide whether you're going to stay on your antidepressant and maybe adjust the dosage. Or if you're going to come off of it, you need a team that helps you plan for slowly, slowly, slowly coming off of your antidepressant. Okay. So you had already been off of it, but you were starting to feel, it sounds like some of the signs of perinatal depression and anxiety, which is a hormonal thing often, like often not like this massive thing happened to me. And because of that, I'm depressed or anxious. It's like, it's just chemicals. This is just our brain is an organ. So did you talk to your OB about this, about going back on? I really didn't. It was... In, in the OB model of care, you know, you, you come in, you get weighed, you pee in a cup, they measure your belly and you're off, you know, it's just, there was no, there was no conversation. No, how are you doing? Do you have any concerns? You know, what's your mental health? Like it just, it wasn't there. So I just, there was no support to be had. I felt like. Yeah. 
When my dual clients, Julie, have an appointment, I like literally have them go through how are they feeling from their hair down to their toenails. And that includes all of your organs in between. Like literally lay down and think about how your gallbladder is feeling, how your appendix is feeling, how your ovaries are feeling, how your brain is feeling, how your heart is feeling. We can get weird things like arrhythmias and I mean your whole body from head to toe. So every single appointment is really important to think how are my, how's my vision? How are my lips? You know, all of the things. So, and you're right, a 10 minute OB appointment in the United States with crappy, I mean, we just have such crappy maternity care. It's just terrible, which is why I'm a big proponent of midwifery care and continuity of care, staying with the same provider if you're low risk. So at this point, were you were you low risk, like you didn't have any other medical complications? Yeah, just low risk, no, no issues. Okay. Well, I'm sorry that your provider didn't ask you about your mental health. Your sister was studying to be a doula. Did you think about having a doula? Yes. Oh, absolutely. I, she was going to, she was going to be my doula, okay. um, but she was in Tennessee and I was in Virginia. So that gets, gets that a little later. wonky. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and my sister was going to be my doula on my first and she was just in Asheville, which is two hours away from Charlotte. <laughs> she's, she still made it, but it was, it was hard, you know? Um, okay. So you just fought through these feelings. Yeah. I mean, I was really open with my husband about it. Um, you know, I told him, you know, I'm, yeah, he, he knew my history. So going back, my depression started when I was 20. My dad was murdered and it just threw me down a spiral. And, you know, so he had known that about me and he knew that I struggled with depression. And I was like, Hey, like, this is going to be hard on me. Like, I need you to keep an eye on me. Like, tell me, if it's getting too bad and I need to talk to somebody and he, he eventually did, you know, postpartum, like sat me down and was like, you, you need to talk to someone. So I feel like that's one thing I always tell partners and pregnant persons is that you need to keep an eye on your mental health. You need to talk to your partner about it, have someone who can keep an eye on you and let you know that you're not okay. Because some you're not going to notice it yourself sometimes. Yeah. So Julie, uh, the audience needs to know. I did not know any of this before we started talking, so I'm learning with the audience in real time. And so I'm going to take this one step further as a trauma birth. Okay. Yeah. So the first time we are are pregnant or having a baby after a significant trauma. You need a trauma-informed birth team. Trauma-informed birth team can be as simple as what Julie just said. The people in the room, like your partner, know and understand your trauma and can let you feel and be in your trauma in your birth space. One of the very first episodes I did on this podcast with was is with Rachel Coley. She's the CEO of Can Do Kiddo, this massive Instagram thing where she teaches you how to play with your newborn and her dad died right before she gave birth. And there was no time in her story to resolve the trauma. In your story, Julie, sometimes there is trauma and there is time and we still don't do it. Right? Yeah. 
If you're listening to this podcast and you are a survivor of sexual assault, if you have a parent or a loved one who died, if you have experienced a big T or a micro T trauma and you haven't resolved it, I have no idea where Julie's going with this birth story. It often comes out in your birth as a very dark, hard journey. So we're going to get into what that looked like for you. Maybe it didn't look like that for you, Julie, but like I encourage everyone to get therapy, to talk about their trauma prior to going into birth, especially if you want an unmedicated birth, okay? Because that epidural may really save you mentally. <laughs> if, you, if you're not prepared for transition, it can get really dark. So Julie, I'm really sorry about your dad. And I just have to ask, because you said murdered, not like my dad died of a heart attack. Yeah. Are you open to share about that? Yeah. Um, so it was 2011. Um, I I was at work and I my mom called me. I was like, you need to come home. And I was like, well, that's weird. She had actually just sent me to this office to help out. She was my manager at the time. Um, and so I'm driving home and my cousin texts me. And she's like, I'm so sorry. I just heard about your dad. And I'm like, I have no idea at this point. And so I'm like driving way too fast home. And I'm like, he must've gotten in a car accident. There was a fire or something. And I come in the house and my mom's crying and she's on the couch. My parents are divorced at the time. Um, so that I feel like I have to mention that. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, what's wrong? And she says, David shot your dad. David was a, a gentleman my dad rented the basement to um, at his house. And I was like, well, why aren't we at the hospital? And then it clicked that he was dead. And I mean, I was 20. My sister was 22. My little brother was 13. It was just, I mean, it was, it rocked the family. And then, you know, we had to go through the murder trial and all of that. And it, it just, it sent me down a really bad place of addiction and all those issues and mental health issues that come from that. And so, yeah, it was, it was a really big uphill battle through my pregnancy. Oh, Julie. Yeah. Man. Was this person prosecuted? Yes. And is, yes. are they he in jail? Called, he called the police um, on himself. He was, he was, he was drinking. Um, and my dad wouldn't turn the TV off and he got upset and shot him and uh, just completely unnecessary, ridiculous. And he called the police and was like, I'll be on the front porch when you get here. And uh, yeah, he was, he was sentenced to 50 years I mean, he's, he's an older gentleman. So he'll, he'll, he'll pass in prison. <sighs> yeah. Sorry. I just got really deep. <laughs> well, I'm going to, I'm going to doula you. Have you forgiven him? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It was his one friend in the world. Yeah. He, he killed the one person who cared about him in the entire world. And I, it, sucks that that's what he has to deal with yeah. took me a long time to feel that way but it's just I don't have the space in my life mind heart to hate someone yeah I'm not like now I'm crying <laughs> <laughs> um I too am a trauma survivor and I asked you that question because the only time god I just really got emotional but the only time that we're truly free is when we forgive. Yeah. You know, and that plays a role in our birth. <laughs> so, um, my work partner and I specialize, 
as one of our specialties is as a trauma-informed birth team. This is something that we do and we create space and experts around our clients to help them with their trauma and to help everyone in the room understand their trauma so that they have the freedom to surrender and let go in the birth process. So here you are and all these things are coming up about your past and you're not on your medication and you haven't appropriately gone to therapy to deal with your trauma. Not at all. And you're about to have a baby. Yeah. So I understand when you say like it was now I now I understand when you say that it was just a really hard pregnancy. Yeah. Um, but health wise, you remained healthy. Okay. So as we get to the end of pregnancy, how did you know, like, I'm going into labor? Or how did you know you were in labor? Well, I had, I had a membrane sweep um, at 39 and 2. Um, I had some cramping. Uh, I went to the chiropractor the next day. My chiropractor made a joke about, are you ready to have this baby? You know, I'm going to give you the adjustment that's going to make it happen. And that was Wednesday. And Thursday morning, I woke up. And I was like, ah, my stomach hurts. I was like, uh, I don't know that that's, it's just it weird. It's weird. It hurts. But you know, I was like, oh, I'm not 40 weeks yet. First moms go late. There's no way. So I get up, I get dressed. I go to work. I see patients all day. Um, I remember around like 10 in the morning looking in the mirror and I was like, wow, my belly's dropped. Like it's low. <laughs> I was like looking at a picture from the day before and that day and it was totally different. And, um, I just, I had stomach and back pain all day. And like, I remember my patients, they're like, are you are you in labor? I was like, there's no, 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 not. It's just a little, just a little soreness. It's fine. And then finally after work, I was like, I might be in labor. <laughs> and so I, I called my sister. It was like, you know, five, five thirty, And I was like, Hey, you know, this has been happening all day. She's like, okay, well, you know, go for a walk. You know, if they stop, then it's probably not labor. But you know, if, if you, if they continue through like a whole walk around the block, you know, about a mile, you might be in labor. And so I called her afterwards and I was like, Hey, I had a couple of contractions that stopped me in my, in my steps. Like, I think this is the real thing you need to get here. Meanwhile, it's a 10 hour drive from Tennessee to Virginia. She was planning on flying up later that weekend. And uh, so she was like, all right, well, I'm going to get in the car. I'll be there about eight in the morning. <laughs> so I don't know how she's going to be much use to you after driving through the night and not sleeping, but okay. Okay. Yeah. I was like, wow. Like that's, that's hard. It's hard enough for me to work a night shift ever, you know, but drive through the night, a whole nother thing. Okay. So it's like, so you kind of had some warning signs. Yeah. Real light, you know, 10, 15 minute apart contractions, like just, just really light early signs. And how would you describe those contractions for someone who's never been in labor before? What did that feel like for you? So for me, my contractions, they start like a period cramp really low down, like where your uterus would be when you're not pregnant. And then like slowly kind of come up through the whole belly and through my back. So it's like, it's just like a wave that just comes over the whole stomach and then kind of, you know, chills out. And then wraps all the way around. Yeah. Yep. The wrap around mm-hmm. is what, how I, how I know. Mm-hmm. Yep. For me, I sort of felt like someone was putting a belt around me and then like yeah. tightening it, you know, like, and it was like, get the belt off. <laughs> <laughs> also called a contraction. Right. Um, so, so you're having some of these are very sporadic. They're very mild to the point y'all 
You need to hear Julie was able to go to work. Okay. Something happens. This is what I always say. When my doula clients call me, Julie, and they tell me they're experiencing what you're experiencing, I'm like, just wait till the sun goes down. We're mammals. Yep. We have to be private, safe, dark, undisturbed, where all the predators in the world are away. So things, I say when the sun goes down, you're going to know whether or not you're in labor or not. That's typically what I say when it's dark outside. Your sister was, oh, and or go for a walk. That's so true. Like, if you're truly in labor, nothing that you do will slow it down. You can get in the bath, it keeps going. You can get in the shower, you can lay on the couch, it keeps going. If you lay down and they stop, you're in prodromal labor. Warm-up labor. Okay, so your sister gets in the car, she starts driving towards you. Have you, no, you said husband earlier, so like at some point did you get married in your pregnancy? Um, in 2020. Oh, okay. So like yeah. a long time So later. still boyfriend okay. then. Okay. I was like, still yeah, boyfriend took a long test I know. drive on that one. It's hard to like go back and like change the way we say I what know, our right? partner's <laughs> names are or whatever. So at this point, still your boyfriend. Okay. Yes. So um, is he at home? Is he with you? Or yeah. are you? Okay. So he's with you. You guys are both home. Your sister's on the way. Where's your mom? So my mom's at her house. She lives like 20 minutes from us. Okay. Did you plan for your mom to be part of your birth experience? Yes. Okay. Yes. It was going to be my boyfriend at the time, um, my sister, who was going to be my doula, and my mom. Okay. I love it. And so that in itself is a trauma-informed birth team, meaning everyone in the room is very aware of your past and your experiences. Okay. Okay. So what happens? So what happens that night? So we're going to bed and my husband is like, well, I have to work in the morning. So I need to go to bed in case you're not actually in labor. And I'm like, wow, thanks, man. <laughs> so Super smart though, because the doula who has prodromal labor clients all day and all night for like two weeks at a time, I'm like, we can't be calling out of work for two weeks. So yeah. Yeah, I should have taken a page from his book, um, but I couldn't go to sleep. Okay. So I lay down, I get back up, I go in the living room and I'm, you know, kind of just doing my own thing, watching some TV and, you know, around like, I'd say maybe midnight or so I called my mom and I was like, Hey, I don't know what to do by myself. Like I I need someone else here. He's sleeping. (laughs) So my mom comes over and she's with me and you're kind of rubbing my back and, you know, let me, you know, put my hands on her and, you know, kind of like the slow dance, you know, move. And I'd been calling my OB's office all night, <laughs> you know, they're seven minutes apart. They're this many. And they're like, finally like, all right, well, they're five minutes apart. You can come on to the hospital if you want. So one thirty in the morning, I told my husband, I was like, Hey, we're going to head to the hospital. Um, meet us there. You know, I'm not waiting for you. <laughs> so my mom drives me, it's like a 10 minute drive. And it was like, it sucked. I remember just really hating those like maybe two or three contractions I had in the car and um we get there and I'm two centimeters and I was just distraught I'm like how how I'm like I have been laboring all day not realizing that it was just early labor you know and they my mom and my sister my husband tell me now they wanted me to go home at the hospital apparently I don't remember that and I told them I wasn't leaving oh yeah if you're a first time birthing person and you're planning Julie an unmedicated birth we don't want you showing up to that hospital till you're like six or seven centimeters dilated in active labor so 
So it's hard though, because I mean, you know, we, we have really similar stories, Julie, but like I also showed up at the hospital two centimeters dilated. I'm a doula. Okay. When you're feeling it, you're like, this can't possibly get any stronger. It's like, ha, 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 It like, your threshold just changes, right? Like, as time goes on. Like, they are going to get much stronger. They are going to get much longer. They are going to get closer together. And when you think you can't handle it anymore, your threshold changes, right? So it's like, okay. So I also didn't let them let me go home, Julie. So you're saying you were like, no, I'm not going home. I'm two centimeters. This has been 24 hours. I'm staying here. If I was your doula, I would have, I would have handcuffed you and pulled you. I wasn't there home. yet. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm uh, like she just she wasn't there yet. She got there after I've been there for what seven hours. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. Okay, so they kept you. They let you stay. Yeah, I guess they just weren't really busy, and they had the space. They're like, all right. Well, That's wild. Because you're in your 39th week. Of, first of all, you're a first-time birthing person in your 39th week at two centimeters. Right. No hospital in my area would have kept you. None. <laughs> nope. Bye. <laughs> Unless you had, like, high blood pressure or, like, I had, something. I, did, I, I will say I did have some high blood pressure right there at the end. So okay. I'm, I'm wondering if maybe that's why they were like, eh, you can stay. Okay. Because I was like, there is no hospital here that would have kept you unless you were showing a medical reason <laughs> to stay. Let's just call it you threw one blood, one high blood <laughs> pressure. So they were like, okay, stay. Um, okay. So this is middle of the night. You haven't had any sleep. You're tired. Oh, I was exhausted. Um, I remember it took forever for my husband to get there. It turned out he had gotten locked out of the labor and delivery area, had to go through the emergency room, couldn't get anyone to walk him through the hospital. It was like three in the morning or something before he showed up. Like we'd been there for a while. <laughs> and at this point I was just beside myself with just exhaustion and it would hurt. And I'm like, I'm not progressing. And the, the nurse was like, well, I can give you something. And I didn't know what that meant. And next thing I know, there's stadol in my IV. Oh, okay. It's a narcotic. And as I mentioned earlier, some, you know, addiction issues. I didn't want any narcotics and I was pissed. So all it did was make me drowsy and they wouldn't let me get out of the bed. So I couldn't get up. I couldn't move around. I'm still feeling everything. And I was just, I was mad. Yeah. So I had to just wait it out until I don't know however many hours they felt was safe for me to get up and move again. But I was I was not happy. Yeah. And stayed all go straight to the baby too. Yeah. So you can only this is a this is why they offered you stayed all, Julie. You can get stayed all when you're early in labor. Yeah. Okay. Because a well timed epidural is a thing, right? Like making sure you're in active labor, you're having contractions every two to three minutes, they're 60 to 90 seconds, they're very intense. Otherwise, an epidural may slow down your labor and or stop it. And then it's the cascade of interventions, right? Adpitocinot, all these things. So sometimes they will offer you these IV pain medications, which do go straight to the baby, but you cannot do them late in labor because if you do them late in labor, like I said, they go straight to the baby and the babies can come out and have a little bit of a hard time breathing because their their whole their whole system has been um, like repressed also, right? right? Um, 
So anyway, this makes me very angry that they don't ask the questions like, do you have a history of substance abuse? Like, I watch this go on in the hospitals here. They don't ask. They ask you if you're being abused at home by your partner. But they that's don't. not something that you, like, give willingly. You know, unless you're asked, you're not going to tell anyone, you right. know? Yeah. Now yeah. now that I'm, you know, years away from it, I'm, I'm very open about it. Yeah. But at the time, I didn't want to admit that. Are they going to yeah. take my baby away? You know, like, it's... You, you you don't get the help because you're afraid of the help. Right. You know, Colin, my work partner, she just celebrated 12 years of sobriety. Wow. That's amazing. She's amazing. But part of working with her as someone who I've, I, I've never had addiction problems um, or a history of like alcohol or drug use or abuse she brought that to our business, intake questions and intake forms about that so that we can help you understand what's going in your body with an epidural, with IV medications, with things like nitrous oxide, right? Um, is so important. And unless you're a trauma-informed doula or an abuse-informed doula or an addiction-informed doula, a lot of support persons don't even know to ask these questions. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. But the fact that you were given state all without informed consent just sets me on fire. So it's taking advantage of a 24-year-old who they're just not willing to get to know you. And again, that goes back to continuity of care. If you had had the same OB for 40 weeks and developed a relationship at some point, Julie, you might've opened up to that person. Yeah. And then it would have been in your chart. So dang. So you get whatever. I know that was a long rant, but I want people (laughs) listening to know to find someone safe to speak up to, you know? If, especially if there's a history of substance abuse in your past. So you get whatever, it's in your body. You get Ivy Stadol early on. How'd it make you feel? It, it was, it was, it, it didn't do anything. You know, it just, it just made me drowsy and it didn't help with the pain. And it just made me mad that I couldn't get out of the bed. And so I was like, you tell me what time I can get out of this bed and I'm getting out. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know I need to walk. I know I need to put pressure on my cervix, get this baby down. Because at this point, they're like, well, we're going to send you home if you don't progress. I'm like, well, how am I supposed to progress in the bed? Yeah. Like, it, exactly. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, exactly. Okay, yeah. so what'd you do? So finally, I get out of the bed and I took walks around that labor and delivery department. And I did squats on the wall and just everything I could. And finally, I get back and they check me and I'm like three and a half centimeters. And they're like, all right, boom, you're in. Let's do it. Progress <laughs> is progress. On that time, my sister had gotten there. You know, she started supporting me. And I think I got checked into my like labor and delivery room, like 9 30, 10 o'clock in the morning, something like that. Oh, after no sleep at all. Yeah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I've been up since six o'clock the morning before. Uh, Worked all day, labored all night. I was tired. <laughs> exhaustion yes (laughs) what everyone listening you're there's so many things to learn from you julie but what everyone listening needs to learn is like you said take that play from your husband's playbook go 
to bed. Yes. Go to bed. Until you think that your pain threshold is like an eight out of 10 and they're every two minutes and they're 60 to 90 seconds and there's zero break in between. Sleep, sleep, go to bed. Okay. So your sister gets there, the doula. Yay. Yay. Okay. <laughs> I'm dying to know how this unfolds. Okay. So I, um, I really got a lot of comfort from loud music, like country music. And, um, so every time a contraction would start, I'd kind of like, you know, gesture over to my, you know, my husband or my sister and they turn the music up and I'd, you know, kind of dance and, you know, just back and forth, sway my hips. My sister would do double hip squeezes, a little pressure on my lower back. And so we, we got through most of the day. Um, and then, you know, I can't remember the exact times, so three, four in the afternoon or so I was five centimeters. And not progressing, you know. Oh, or so my, or boo, so my, Julie. I was like, yeah. that's so much progress. Now I know. Now I know. For a first so time, like, burning really, person. Yeah, she's like, we should, we should break your water because it's going really slow. It'll speed things up for you. Oh no, she did. So I'm not. like, okay. My sister had gone to lunch, you know, yeah. so she wasn't there to like give me the hey, don't do it, like. And um, so she breaks my water and it just got so much more intense. I didn't realize that the contractions were going to feel more sharp and just overwhelming. And you don't have that, you know, water to, you know, I guess absorb some of the pain. I don't know. Like it's just, Oh yeah. It gets way so more much intense. different. Yeah. And so that was a big turning point in my labor that I was, I remember looking at my, my husband and I was like, everything I've heard says that, you know, the last bit of labor is like running a marathon. And I don't think I could walk a mile right now. I'm just exhausted. And so I decided to get the epidural, which was like the last thing I wanted. And that was horrible. Um, but hold on. <laughs> I would venture to say, if I had been your doula, that an epidural was a tool yes. that you used yes. for exhaustion. Yes, that's exactly. Pain, so yeah. that you had a chance at having a vaginal birth. Yes. Because yeah. if I don't you're, think I would have done it without the epidural. Yeah. If, you, if you're so exhausted that you can't push, there is a thing called arrest, right? Where mm -hmm. your baby is right there and you don't have the energy to push your baby out and the baby is arrested, like stuck, you know? Yeah. And it's, they're not stuck because your pelvis isn't big enough. I believe that your body makes a baby that's the perfect size for your body for you to birth, but we get a rest of the pelvis because you're so tired you can't push your baby out, you know. And or sometimes we get an infection when our water is broken and our uterus just doesn't want to perform too. So I think you made a great choice. Yeah, based no, on everything back, like, that I, 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 I could have done it another way. I was just so tired. Yeah, and so I got the epidural. Um, took two shots to get it in. I can remember feeling it going up my spine. It was horrible. Like, um, it didn't take it first. I had to redo it. Finally, it was good, whatever. So I took a nap and I remember waking up and I was like, I think I'm ready to push. And my OB comes in. She's like, Oh, you're nine and a half with a lip. Um, and I was like, no, I'm ready to push. And she was like, well, if you want to push, go ahead, but you're going to swell and tear. So I wouldn't recommend it. So she let me do like three or four like pushes and she was like, do you realize now you're not ready? I was like, okay, fine. Yeah. So she, she gave me the opportunity, but told me like, I wouldn't recommend it, which I appreciated. Yeah. You do not want to tear your cervix. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you do not want to swell your cervix. You don't want to be nine and a half and go back to six. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, that's so like she, the suckiest thing. You had me do the peanut ball and like lay on my right side where the lip was and just kind of take it easy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I will say as far as OBs go, she was this specific provider I birthed with was great. She wasn't the one who was in triage with me. I, I really, I do have to say she was great. Yeah. Um, that is really important. She's not the one who broke my water. <laughs> oh, cause they changed shifts. Yeah. yeah. They changed shifts. I will say that she did the right thing though. If if you have a vaginal exam and we find out you are not 10 centimeters dilated and there's, because a cervix doesn't actually dilate in a perfect circle, you guys. It right. <laughs> dilates a little up to the left corner and the right corner and the bottom. You know, it's like a, it's malleable. Okay. <laughs> so every now and then it's like the cervix is completely thin and dissolved, you know, 80%. Like if you think of a clock, think of like three o'clock to 12 o'clock is dissolved, but 12 to three, there's just still a little bit of um, cervix that's just a little, a little thicker and a little closed. And what you do is you put pressure on it, put the head on it. So that's why Julie's provider had her roll over to her right side to put pressure on it so that the rest of the cervix could dissolve with a few contractions. So. That was good. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when I, uh, did you I, feel to the need to push? Okay. So I don't know if it was so much the need to push, but I, I guess I, I don't know if I took another nap or what, but I woke up and I remember reaching inside my vagina and feeling the baby's head. And I was like, uh, I guess, oh I guess it's time. God. I'm like, I paged a nurse and she was like, you checked yourself? I'm like, it's my body. Yeah, I checked myself. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. Oh my like, gosh. I'm so, so proud of you. Everybody gets in the room and shows up. And um, I pushed for, God, 45 minutes or an hour. I just could not figure out how to push. I couldn't feel anything. You know, I've got my husband holding my left leg, my mom holding my right, my sister cheering me on. and While you're you flat know, on your back? Flat on my back, of course legs up, you know, like yeah. a dead spider. And, you know, I finally, I push him out. Um, no tears or abrasions. It was, it was a beautiful vaginal birth. Um, and he had a really short cord. So the doctor put him on my belly and we really wanted delayed cord clamping. So she was like, okay, well, you know, you're not gonna be able to get him up to your chest and we'll just leave him on your belly. And, you know, I, you know, she was like, Hey, just, so you know, the cord has stopped pulsing at this point. Are you cool with cutting it? very, very informed on that end. My husband cut the cord, you know, we bring him up to the chest and he, he took right to breastfeeding. He was just a natural. It was, it was amazing. I love it. And I love that your provider like proactively was about delayed cord clamping. Yeah. She like held it up and was like, Hey, look, it, it, it has stopped pulsing. Like, awesome. Did you feel husband, it by like, any chance? I didn't. I no, didn't. Okay. My husband, he's like, I had the scissors and I kind of like held them over it for a minute before I cut it, you know, just to get a little <laughs> more delay if needed. <laughs> Soak it all in. Sometimes yep. um, I'll have the parents like just grab the cord themselves. And it's kind of cool. It's kind of like if you put your fingers on your neck and you feel your pulse, you can feel it weakening. Yeah. You know, like you can literally feel it dying, like the like the placenta dying, like as the pulse stops. It's kind of 
cool, you know? It's an it's a neat thing. So a short cord, that's something I haven't really addressed on the podcast, Julie, is that umbilical cords can be all kinds of lengths. Sometimes they're really long and the babies wrap them around their necks and their bodies. And then sometimes they're really short, like six inches, eight inches. And they your baby comes out and only like will literally go up to your belly button until the placenta is delivered or the cord is cut. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. Um, did you know that the sex was male in advance yes. or was that a surprise? Yeah, no, we found out with both. Okay. And what did you name him? Leland. Leland. What yes. a gorgeous name. I picked that when I was a teenager. <laughs> I loved it. There was never any, ch- any question. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. I love it. I, my teenage um, name was Holden. From like the catcher in the rye, like Holden Caulfield. So anyway, that didn't happen. My kids are Max and Jagger, but uh, but I was going to have a Holden. Like it was going to happen. I like Leland so much. Okay. So did you like do anything like encapsulate your placenta? I, I didn't. Okay. I didn't. There wasn't even like a mention of it on okay. at the, that hospital. Yeah. And, and you're not going to probably hear that mentioned from anyone other than a doula. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, does your sister do that as part of her doula practice? She doesn't, um, but she has a friend locally who does. Okay. So when you look back at Leland's birth and that birth experience. It was clearly not what you wanted with this unmedicated kind of birth and having your sister there earlier than later. But I mean, the story that you just told, when you tell it, it feels quite positive. Yeah. I, it, it was as good of an experience as it could have been. I feel like I, I used the epidural as a tool and I got my vaginal birth. I didn't have any tearing, you know, so there was no physical peeling down there. So it was great. Yeah. Postpartum, eh, not so much. <laughs> okay. So what happened? Um, I, the next day, uh, the baby was all perfect. He was got his discharge papers in hand and they were getting mine ready and they took one more blood pressure reading and it was 160 over 10. Shit. Yeah. Stroke level. Like, yeah. They well, were the 110, the diastolic. Yes. Yeah. I was like the 110, the diastolic, 160. I don't want to freak everybody yeah, out. Because yeah. I was the, like that, a lot of people. Yeah. A lot of people are going to have a systolic in the 160s. But like yeah. that diastolic at 110, that's like a questionable thing. Yes. Okay. So, so people right now are going to be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Nor Your normal blood pressures are going to be like some of us like me live in the 90s over 60s. That's hypotension. Then you're going to have hypertension, which is like 145 over 90 or above, right? Everybody else is going to kind of fall in the middle, 110, 120, 130 over 60, 70, 80 kind of thing. If your blood pressure start getting up into the 160s, 170s, the top number over any bottom number over 90, if any bottom number is over 100, if that bottom number goes to 110, we're, we're getting very concerned about postpartum uh, preeclampsia or hypertension, postpartum hypertension. So that's, that's a scary number. So they, um, they, you, they, they got it down slowly with medication. It was, um, like, uh, procardia and libidol, um, yeah. which have a side effect of causing headaches, um, which I didn't know until later. And I am prone to migraines. So I got the worst migraine of my life with a two day old baby. 
And it was just horrendous. And I was in tears and I was, you know, tired and exhausted and depressed and trying to figure out breastfeeding. And it was just, it was, it sucked. And I was just so overwhelmed. Yeah. And the epidural can cause a post-birth headache too. Yeah. So, so it all is. All of it together was just like, oh, it was, it was horrible. Yeah. And I was, I was in the hospital for four days. Um, did the baby you know, get to stay with you? He did. He, okay. did. he was checked in as a visitor and okay. he got to stay in my room. Okay. And I'm like, thank God they caught it. Cause uh, you, you would put something up the other day is once you, once you leave the hospital, you're, you're, you're trash. You're nothing. Like yeah. if I'd had that postpartum hypertension and had to come back, I would have had to, you know, go through the emergency room without my baby. Like, yeah. and I'm like, thank God I was still there. Otherwise that could have been a completely different situation. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up, Julie. Thank you for following my Instagram. I was heated. <laughs> I was crying. I had been, just finished crying. I was like, y'all, I put an Instagram like rage out there the other day. Once you do not leave the hospital, unless you feel a hundred percent and your vitals are a hundred percent and your bleeding is under control. Because if you leave the hospital within 24, 48 hours, whatever, you are, you're no longer anything to them. You're no longer maternity. You're no longer triage. You're no longer labor and delivery in this country. You are primary, go back to your primary care doctor and go to the emergency department. If anything is wrong with you, even if you know it is directly related to giving birth, it's like, we just treat you like trash. We're like, bye. I had a client that that rant was about in October with your story, Julie, and she, but she had left the hospital. And as soon as she got home, she had that headache and the high blood pressures. And she sat in the emergency department and almost died for 10 hours. Then last week, or it was like two days ago, my client, 10 days postpartum, started hemorrhaging, bled through a pad in an hour, bled through her shorts, and they wouldn't see her, sent her straight to the emergency room. So, Julie, they caught you. Don't yes. leave the hospital, y'all, without a set of vitals and you're bleeding checked like the second before you walk out the door. Because if you walk out that door, your pregnancy's over. They don't care about you anymore. They'll only treat you in the emergency room. And that fires me up. So anyway, so I'm glad you got checked in. So you were there for four extra days being treated with these medications. Yeah. And I will say, I am thankful that I was able to use the lactation consultant on staff at the hospital for that four days. Yeah. That woman, godsend. Um, she she was there every time he was hungry. You know, he had a little bit of a latch issue, so we got that fixed. And I mean, I had a 26-month nursing journey with him, and I don't think it would have happened if I hadn't gotten that extra little help for those days. So finding the positivity in it. That's that. <laughs> I finally got discharged on day four. And I remember getting home and sitting on the bed with this brand new, beautiful baby and just crying. Like, what am I supposed to do? What do I do with this baby? What do I do with myself? And I was just completely overwhelmed. And I wish I had realized at that point that I had some depression issues that I needed to deal with. He was six months old before I finally my husband finally sat me down and was like, you need to talk to someone. You need to get back on your medication. And I did. And it just totally changed everything. You know, I was able to enjoy the baby and enjoy everything. I just feel like I missed out on so much of his infancy because I was so sad. Okay. Did they not do a screener 
at your postpartum visit? They might have. It was more about, are you ready to get your IUD? Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Mm. Yeah. Fourth trimester, meaning the three months after you give birth, it is critical to screen yourself for postpartum depression and anxiety. It is critical that our medical providers screen us. It is critical that your doula screens you. So anybody listening, you better print those screeners for postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety off the internet, off of the Googles, you know? <laughs> Um, you were on Zoloft before Julie. Did you go back on Zoloft or a different medication? Yeah, I went back on Zoloft. Okay. Um, you know, I don't take pharmaceutical advertising, but I would if Zoloft wanted to pay me to talk about Zoloft on this podcast, because that's how much of a fan I am. I'm as much of a fan of Zoloft for postpartum as Glennon Doyle is for Lexapro on the Untamed podcast. Okay. She even wrote a song about her Lexapro, but Zoloft has saved so many of my clients experiences their life, their relationships, their relationships with their child. It is a very powerful medication that when used appropriately at the right dose can make you feel better. Yeah. Um, what dose were you on? 20 milligrams. Yeah. It didn't take much. Yeah. Very low dose. Yeah. You can go all the way to 100 or more. So 50 milligrams once a day. How soon did you start to feel better after taking the medication? I think I got a little placebo at like a week, just knowing that I was going to feel better, but mm -hmm. you know, within, within a month or so. Okay. Which yeah. is awesome. Do you still take it now? Um, so I had discontinued it at some point again, and then I actually got put on, um, Celexa when my son was maybe three or four. Okay. Um, I had just realized again, I was overwhelmed and sad and just all of that and getting on that again, just re-kicked my life into, you know, drive again. I, you know, went yeah. back to school to finish my, or to further my dental hygiene degree, finally got married, you know, we decided to move to Tennessee. So it really like, poof, just oh, fixed everything. <laughs> so closer to your sister? Yeah. And my mom, my mom's here too. Oh, okay. I love it. Okay. Cause at the time your mom was 20 minutes away yep. from you and your she moved, she moved a little bit before my son turned one. So, so now everyone's together in Tennessee. Yeah. Oh, that makes me so happy. Okay. Well, I know that you have another child because when you reached out to me in March, you had said that you had just given birth and that you wanted to tell that story. So let's jump ahead and get to your second birth story. Six years later, right? Yes. You're married. You're on the correct medications. You're living in an environment where you're surrounded by support and... Did you plan this pregnancy? We did. We did. Okay. I will say, I blame the doctors and nurses from my first postpartum for making me wait so long. They told me at the time, kind of going back real quick, you will absolutely have this issue again of the postpartum hypertension, and you'll probably have a stroke. I don't know if we'd recommend that you have another baby. It scared huh. the crap out of me. And I was like, well, I guess I can never have any more kids because my body just doesn't handle pregnancy well. And I'm going to have postpartum hypertension and I'm going to have a stroke and I'm going to leave two babies by themselves. And yeah. No, this is a placenta thing. Yeah. Yeah. Now that I've done the research, I understand that. Okay. And it's I'm individual. Like, 
Yes. And it's not guaranteed that you have it one time and you have it again. So, so yeah. Horrible that they told you that and not evidence-based, not at all, not medically sound. I don't even have a degree and I know this. Right. (laughs) Okay. So anyway, I'm sorry that you got scared. So what, what changed your mind? What gave you the power to, to be safe to try? I think we just finally, one day I was like, I just turned 30. I want one more baby. Like I always said I was going to be done by the time I was 30, whatever. I don't know why that number mattered, but I was like, let's do it again. My husband was like, let's do it. So, you know, we got married in December. I got my IUD out in January, checked with my provider then back in Virginia that the medication I was on was safe. She was cool with it. You know, um, we get to Tennessee. Um, I got my pregnancy test positive in July the 1st. Uh, so a couple months of trying, um, took a little time for my cycles to regulate, I think. And then, um, decided that I really wanted to do midwifery care instead of OB for this, you know, this pregnancy after, I mean, I had read every book I could, you know, Ina May, you know, everything. And mm-hmm. uh, I'd li- been listening to podcasts, yours, of course, your book. <laughs> and I mean, I just listened to anything I could. And I was like, I am, I'm ready. Like I got this. Mm-hmm. And Tennessee is like the place, right? Because that's where like Ina May's the farm is. Yes. And like I have a cousin who um, delivered there. I want to do it, wanted to do it, but it was just too far away. Yeah. And Danny Williamson is there too. She was the first doula to like work as a doula in Tennessee in the hospital system. And now she's a nurse practitioner that runs an integrative practice, but she's got a very cool story about being like the first certified doula yeah. working in Tennessee. So you're in like the place for birthing and midwifery yes. care. Um, did you stay on your medication during this pregnancy? I did. I did. Like I said, I had talked with my OB who took my IUD out. I had talked with my psychiatrist back in Virginia. I had gotten a new psychiatrist once I got to Tennessee, discussed it with him. He, I thought he was supportive. Um, that comes back. And um, I saw an OB for my confirmation sonogram. She also told me it was a good idea, you know, healthy mom, healthy pregnancy, like just the mental health is just so much more, I think, understood now and accepted and seen. And research, tons more research in those six years. Yeah. I just, I couldn't find the research on it with my first. And now it's like so much more readily available and understood. Yeah. And so, um, I went for my confirmation sonogram, just kind of jumping into it. And, uh, I, went to an OB just because that was who had an opening and it was a horrible experience. And they, you know, Oh, we're going to do your pelvic exam and your pap smear. I'm like, I had one in January. This is July. Like, they're like, well, we'll do it again. You have new insurance. They'll cover it. Surprise. It's all about money. Uh-huh. And she's like, well, we'll get you scheduled up for your sonogram. I was like, no, no, no. That's the only reason I'm here is for that sonogram. Like yeah. we're going to be doing that today. Look at you advocating for yourself, Julie. Well done. I was prepared. I had all my questions. I was going to ask her about, you know, how she could support me in unmedicated labor. But, you know, I realized like five minutes in that I was not going to be there for long. I just went to my sonogram and wanted to leave. (laughs) And I mentioned to her the hypertension and she was like, oh, well, we'll deal with it if it comes up. Okay, whatever. I had a meeting uh, virtually with the birthing center later that day for the midwives and I think it was an hour long virtual appointment and they discussed everything. How do I view my birth going? What do I want? How's my mental health? How do my last labor and delivery go? They recommended that I take an 81 milligram aspirin every day to lessen my chance of the hypertension being an issue. Exactly. I'm like, look at that difference. Like the OB didn't even mention that. 
and proactive care versus (laughs) reactive care. Your OB offered a reactive thing versus being proactive. I love it. Didn't it feel like you were just getting a warm hug? Oh my God. Yes. Midwives are amazing. Loved it. I will say the birthing center in Nashville, it's the big one. Um, they did, they do have a lot of providers. So you do cycle through them, but at every visit, they had read my notes. They knew everything that I talked to the last midwife about. So it was like, I'd seen them before, you know? So that was really comforting. Yeah. So did they accept you? (laughs) Yes. Like, okay. They were like, yeah, you know, you sound low risk, you know, well, the weight was an issue. I have, you know, higher BMI. And so they were like, you know, we'd like to see you only gain, you know, maybe 15 or 20 pounds. I was like, all right, I got that. And so I was really on like keeping my weight down and everything. And I mean, I'm only looking at your face, but like, you don't look like you have that high of a BMI. Yeah. I mean, mean, high enough for a birthing center. Do you mind sharing what your pre-pregnancy weight was? Yeah. I'm, so I'm five foot five and my pre-pregnancy weight was 200. What? That is so small. That makes me crazy. Okay. So one, I was like, I am looking at you right now. And I was like, and I am certified with the plus size doula directory mm-hmm. too. So I'm like, I'm not seeing anyway. It just drives me crazy. Right. Yeah. yeah. So going back to my psychiatrist. So I had a virtual appointment with him at 12 weeks, right after coming from the midwives who okay. once again, good idea to be on your medication. I told him, I was like, Hey, I'm pregnant. I'm super excited. And he got pissed. He was like, you, you're pregnant on this medication that I prescribed you. You could have birth defects and this and that. And I can't believe you're so on, you know, you don't care about your baby. And, you know, you were unhonest. And I was like, what? I'm like, did you not look at your, your notes from last time when I told you I was planning on getting pregnant? And he dismissed me as a patient and told me I needed to find someone else to write the prescription for good, me. Good for him because he's uneducated and you just needed to I be with like, someone else. And guess who can write you that written. prescription? Your <laughs> midwife can write you that prescription. So I was like, uh, wow. And I, of course, like contacted the higher ups for him and was like, this is completely unprofessional and like belittling and it was ridiculous. Yeah. So, I mean, and all I can think is maybe that provider had one experience with something and there it's not correlated. Oh, sorry. It's correlated, but it wasn't causation at all. And so, you know, we never know what someone's history is, but the data is there. And if your medical team and your medical provider think that it is safe for you to continue on your antidepressant, then you can make the choice to continue on your antidepressant. There's a lot of risk benefit analysis going on. And yeah. Yeah. So good for you. Okay. So then you continue on like with this amazing, like planning your unmedicated birth at the birth center. And how does that go? Um, the prep went amazing. You know, I was physically, mentally getting, you know, ready. And I went for my gestational diabetes screen and I failed by three points no. right at the cusp, right at the cusp. So and like so, 143. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Just right there. And so I went, I did the three hour and they set me up in a beautiful room and I took a nap and I failed. Okay. <laughs> And by my fasting failed, was yeah, you quote, mean, yeah, exactly. Yes, by failed, so my fasting was perfect. My three hour was perfect. The one in two hours were high. And so they sent me to see an endocrinologist and he looked me in the face and he says, I'm so sorry. You've been misdiagnosed, but you've been diagnosed. Damn and it. now I'm high risk and I'm risked out of the birthing center and I have to deliver in the hospital. And I was 
so bummed. And you couldn't just take your sugars every day and kind of like prove it. That's what I did. I did. I did my sugars every day. I never got a high reading. Oh man. They were completely controlled my diet. Heart and is... he was like, I am so sorry. It's like, he put it in my medical notes that he was like, she doesn't have gestational diabetes. I had gained 12 pounds at 30 weeks. Yeah. Oh my I God. I was so healthy. So and... it sucked. I, I'm not a sugar eater. So I, my body wasn't trained for sugar and carbs. And so when I had that big drink, he, that's how he described it. He was like, of course your body didn't go through the sugar because it's not used to it. Right. Yeah. And it just spikes, so, you know, yeah. and it takes more insulin and there's just yeah. a little bit of a delay there. Oh, that just makes so, me so sad for you. So at, in my area, some of the birth centers, the midwives have rights at the hospital. Yes. So, so did you get to stay with your midwives I did. I did. Oh, so it's yay. the same practice. They just deliver in the hospital. So I was like, all right, Perfect. cool. I'm still going to get midwife care. That's great. So the fact that you get to stay with, again, the continuity of care and you don't have to also change providers like that just gives me a little bit more peace because yes. we can have a birth center like birth at a hospital. I do it every day. That's what my job Absolutely. is, you know. So now you're in the hospital, but you have the same midwives. How this time did you know that you were in labor? So I woke up about three o'clock in the morning on March the 3rd. I was 38 weeks and five days. And I had that lower stomach pain radiated up through my stomach and through my back. And I was like, is that a contraction? It's like, there's no way. I get up, I go pee, I lay back down. I have another one in a few minutes, you know, seven, 10 minutes. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to keep sleeping. I learned this time I'm going to keep sleeping. <laughs> so I keep laying down through them around like, I don't know, maybe four or so I was like, okay, I need to get up, went into the living room. I didn't want to wake anybody up. And my son had to go to school. My husband, you know, he's still asleep. I'm like, let him sleep. So I was like, if they keep going, I'll alert everybody around six in the morning. So six in the morning comes, I send my sister a text, um, I woke up, you know, my son for school. I, of course, sat there and cried. You know, this is the last time I'm going to hold him as an only child, you know, all of that. And I um, told him, you know, my mom's going to be there to get him off the bus. I'm going to probably have the baby that day. I wouldn't be home. And so I walk in, take him to the bus between contractions, you know, not too bad yet. um, I forgot to mention for this birth, I had two doulas, my sister, Jenny, and her friend, Natalie, who's also a prenatal masseuse. So I've been getting prenatal massages through her, which was amazing. Oh my um, gosh, so I, love I was it. like, I'm going to have all the support. <laughs> yeah. The hospital was allowing your partner, um, a doula and a support person. So I was like, done. Like yeah. you don't need another both doulas. <laughs> and so, um, so your mom got the boot for the massage therapist. She did. Yeah. And she, I was like, I have heard enough birth stories of people not being comfortable to labor like with not knowing if their kid's taken care of. Yeah. I was like, I need you to be with him. Yep. And that way I won't have to worry about him at all. So hundred yeah. percent. We're yeah. again, was goes like, back to the mammal thing. Yes. <laughs> when we know our youngest are taken care of, we're good. We can go into labor. Yep. So we decided my, my sister and Natalie um, would show up around 10 or so, you know, so I was like, I went and I laid back down in my bed and I closed my eyes between each contraction and they laughed at me. I had a, um, uh, a laundry basket filled with clothes and I would lay on my left side and put my right leg up on the laundry basket. Perfect. And then have the con- get up, have a contraction, lay on the other side, put my leg on it, you know, just trying to keep my pelvis open while relaxing. 
Julie, next time there's this thing called a peanut ball, you can buy for ten dollars on Amazon. I was going to buy it, but I thought I had more time. <laughs> Wait, what? What? On that note, what week gestation were you again? Uh, thirty-eight and five. Thirty-eight and five, and thirty-nine and two. So you know that you you go give birth I just, early. I just don't cook them all the way. Apparently. Yeah, exactly. No, they're plenty cooked. Trust me. Um. So. Uh, Jenny and Natalie showed up around 10, 11, you know, they continue to just support me, you know, laboring on the back porch. Um, I did a lot of time sitting on the toilet, just letting my pelvic floor relax. Um, I got in the bathtub, I've got, you know, jets in my bathtub and like all the windows were open. It was just beautiful and relaxing. And it was a nice day out. We had the windows open. It was just serene and beautiful and everything I had pictured. And um, around two o'clock in the afternoon, I started to change. <laughs> and I was like, I need the epidural. I need to go to the hospital. I'm done. I'm over it. I'm, 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 I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> and Sounds of course, like transition. Uh, of course, you know, two doulas. They're like, okay, we'll get the bags packed. Don't worry. Meanwhile, I've got this huge snack bag I've been packing for weeks. Cause I was like, I'm going to eat at the hospital. I'm going to do my thing. You know, so we get all that in the car. I'm waiting for my mom to get here. They had sent her to the grocery store to get a bunch of stuff. So she's not there yet, but I'm like, I have to see my mom before I go. I have to know she's here for my son, you know? And so she shows up around three in the afternoon and I'm like, y'all get me in the car. I'm ready to go. We have a 50 minute drive to okay. the hospital. Are you okay. like shaking I, or vomiting grow. or pressure no. in your butt? Nothing like that. Okay. No, just none of very that intense. Yeah, just very intense. Um, finally about three 30, we're in the car. I mean, we are pulling away as my son's bus is pulling up. Cause like, I didn't want him to see me in that okay. much pain. You know, okay. he had seen me in the morning, you know, there were like light contractions, but I didn't want him to see me like that in it. Primal. And, um, yeah, exactly. And so I had a tens unit on my lower back, which was okay. amazing in the car. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband luckily has an SUV and as dangerous as it might be, I was on my knees, like leaned over the back seat. Nope. You that's the you, method of choice. You couldn't have put told me seat. to sit down if I had tried. Put the, <laughs> the seatbelt around the birthing person y'all, but yeah. Right. <laughs> Hands and so, knees in the back seat. Yeah. Right. So Jenny, my sister is in, in the car with me. My husband's driving. Natalie's following us in the other car. She's got my, you know, birth ball and all of that. We've got towels in the car just in case, you know, 50 yeah. minutes to the hospital. My husband's just going. And um, so I, my sister tells me that my, um, my vocalizations changed a lot in the car. And she's like, I thought we were going to have that baby on the side of the road with how you sounded. Yeah. She's like, it completely changed. You know, your stomach shape changed, like the baby fully dropped, like yeah. it was on. And so we get to the hospital and I get out the car and I start bawling. I was so happy to be there. Cause yeah. I was like, it's like mentally, I just needed that next step, you know? And, and so we you get made the, it the stress yeah. of like, you know, yes, I'm not going to have this baby on the side of, you know, I-40 like, <laughs> and so we go in, they have you check in through the emergency department for some reason. And the woman is trying to talk to me in the middle of a contraction. And she's like, what's the last four of your social? And I screaming at her <laughs> for everyone to hear. <laughs> I'm about to have a baby. Right. <laughs> so it sounds like, like, as you're mid push. Right. They're like, here's your wheelchair. I'm like, I can't sit in a wheelchair. And I was the woman, she was like, you can kneel in it if you want. Super sweet lady. So it's 4.30. So she wheels me all the way down the hall in the elevator up to labor and delivery where my midwife meets me. I've never met this specific midwife before. Her name was Bethany and the voice of an angel. 
you know, she just gets down on the ground and is like underneath me as I'm leaning on the wall. She's like, hi, I'm Bethany. I'm your midwife. I'm here for you. And we find out then that all the labor and delivery um, birth suites are taken. There are no birth suites available. (laughs) This happens. This happens in in my hospital too. There's like there's some overflow places, but it happens. Like twelve rooms. Like Uh, the heck for a giant city like Nashville. Yes. And so they're like, well, we're just going to put you in the labor and delivery, you know, the triage room, even though clearly you're past, you need to be triaged. I'm like, okay, whatever. And, um, uh, the midwife was like, you know, I'd like to check you if you're okay with it. She was like, you don't have to get on the bed. Cause I, I hadn't even gotten on the bed yet. She like, just lean against the bed. So I kind of lean back. She checked. She's like, oh, you're, you know, six, 80% of face negative one station, but she didn't leave me. And it was like, once I realized she hadn't left and she's sitting there doing hip squeezes on me as the midwife, yeah. I was like, oh, like this is on, like we're doing it. Yeah. And like, I can, I remember them. Um, I was like, I want nitrous. And so they did a COVID test, sent it to the lab, never came back. Um, <laughs> no time, no yeah. time for it because you do have to test negative um, because yes. nitrous is aerosolized. And so like exactly. it can spread COVID all over the room. Right. Um, so you do have to be negative for COVID. If you're going to do nitrous, here's what I need the audience to hear. You're a second time birthing person. You are 80% effaced. That means that cervix couldn't be thinner and you're six centimeters dilated. A negative one station, that head can't be lower. You can go from that to 10 and one or two contractions. So if I'm your doula, I'm not leaving your side either. That's why that midwife didn't leave. <laughs> yeah. Realize that now. And, uh, so, you know, the, uh, the nurse comes in and she, um, she's like, I'm just gonna check the baby's heartbeat. And they'd had a really hard time finding his heartbeat during my pregnancy. So I knew exactly where to point. I was like, okay. right here. I pointed my left side. She found it right away. It was great. Um, he just a little wiggle worm. And, uh, I can remember having contractions, like looking up at the screen and seeing all these women on the monitors. I was not on a monitor. They were like, we're going to get your IV in. My sister's like, oh no, she's not going to have an IV. Thank you. We've kept her very hydrated today. And so no IV, which was. Oh, I forgot to mention in my first birth, um, my IV slipped in my hand when I was pushing and put IV fluid into my hand for an hour. And I had a balloon hand for the first week of that baby's uh, life. And it was miserable. So I really wanted to avoid an IV this time. And I was really happy that I did. So side note. So I'm, you know, I'm going through contractions and I'm like, y'all, I need to poop. And they're like, well, you know, you need to push. And like, no, I need to poop. I need to go to the bathroom. I need to go to the bathroom. Like, let me go. And they had been trying to keep me from going to the bathroom because in the triage, there's one shared bathroom in the hallway. Okay. So I go to the bathroom and I'm on the toilet and I'm, you know, pushing, cannot help the pushing. We thought my water had broken already. We were wrong. Um, So we've got me, my husband, my doula, my sister, my midwife, all in this tiny bathroom. And I'm pushing and my water explodes. Everyone. And by pushing, you mean you're pushing your baby out. You don't actually have to poop, poop out. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So, I mean, audible pop, like my midwife, she's like, I've never heard it pop that loud. (laughs) I mean, everyone's feet are soaked. The floor is soaked. (laughs) And I keep, I can remember, I keep, hearing nurses come to the door, which is wide open. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm loud. I'm sorry, I'm so loud. I'm sorry if I'm scaring everybody. Turns out there was other women who needed to use the bathroom who were in early labor. And my midwife kind of like gestures to the floor. She's like, what do you want me to do? There's amniotic fluid on the floor. This bathroom's not closed. Like, 
sorry. And they're like, Hey, you know, do you want to go back to the triage room and we can get the birth stool? And I was like, if my nitrous is not ready, I'm not moving. This is the, I'm here. This is where it's happening. Oh my God. I love you, Julie. I want to be your doula. (laughs) I was like, no, mm -mm. this is, this is my thing right now. And so next thing I know, I'm on my hands and knees on the floor in the bathroom. With all the amniotic fluid everywhere. With all the amniotic fluid on the floor. They've thrown down some towels. Um, I have this beautiful picture of my midwife laying on the floor, like up under me, ready to catch a baby if needed. Like, I mean, I just, she, she was amazing. Will you send it to me? Can we share it? Absolutely. Oh my yeah, God, I sent it to her. Awesome. She was like, can I have that? Like, yeah, I love it. A <laughs> good midwife will say, I can catch a baby anywhere. Yeah. That's what they had told me. They're like, I can catch that baby any way you want. And so I'm, you know, leaned up on, on the floor, kind of leaned up in the corner of the wall on my husband, who's in a squatting position for a thing this whole time. It was like 10 minutes, but you know, whatever his legs were tired. He tried to stand up at one point and I was like, what are you doing? And he's like, my legs hurt. I was like, so sit on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm, you know, feeling like full fetal ejection reflex, have no control over this. I'm screaming, get this baby out of me. I'm going to tear in half, you know, those poor women in triage that day. Like, <laughs> And so I, once again, reach my hand in my vagina and I'm like, is that the baby's head? And she's like, yes, you're feeling the baby's head. So I like just kept my hand there and like, pushed and guided it out. Like I just, it was total instinct and his head came out and shoulders slipped right through the midwife's hands onto the ground on the towels. Oh, I love it though. Nice and safe though. And I picked him up and I brought him to my chest and long cord, short cord, short cord. Okay. Four and exploded. Oh my God. You ripped it. I ripped it. Oh I ripped it. God. So now but it's so hard because it's instinct. It's just blood. instinct. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the, it looked like a murder scene in that bathroom. <laughs> a lot of people don't know that you can, you can tear the cord yeah. if you do that. Yeah. yeah. Oops. So. Um, so my midwife out of just pure instinct, like just grabbed the, the cord stump and was like, I need a clip. Yeah. I need to clamp <laughs> and I mean, this so you don't yeah, bleed she, out. She held that thing as tight as it possibly could. And we clamped it. And I mean, he was perfect. Um, yeah, no, no terrors, nothing. And it was, it was great. Oh, wow. Julie, what a fun, amazing, fascinating first story. And it's very redemptive. Yes. So much, so So much. much between like empowered versus unempowered, the rape birth team versus not the rape birth team. And even though you had this little diversion from like birth center to hospital, you used your voice to get all of the things that you wanted. And you had the right team that's willing to catch your baby on the floor in the triage bathroom. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I love it. You are amazing. Thank you so much for telling your stories and being on the birth story podcast today. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up, plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like.
Okay, I have a really amazing discount for you guys with anjahealth.com. So it's A-N-J-A health.com. They are my exclusive partner for cord blood and tissue banking. If you've listened to episode 88 of the podcast where I interview the CEO, Catherine Cross, all about cord blood and tissue banking and the 1,000 questions that I had, my child has cerebral palsy, from a birth injury. I cannot go back in time. It is one of my greatest regrets. So I partner with Anja Health because I'm so passionate about cord blood and tissue banking, and I really want to teach you guys all about it. Code Birth Story gives you the biggest discount that there is available, and they are committed to Birth Story always being the biggest discount. So right now, it makes your kit only $20, which essentially covers shipping. So it's $180 off with Code Birth Story. So please consider cord blood and tissue banking. Look at anjahealth.com. Again, it's A-N-J-A Health. Dot com. And if you are going to bank your cord blood and tissue, then please use code BIRTHSTORY so you get the biggest and best discount that is available.